Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today. Oh, I did it again. I did that last week. I said Tuesday edition. It's the Wednesday edition. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Chase. Okay, let's move it on. Jeff, why don't you just take it away? What do you think, Chase? We need to hire a new director, producer, or what? We're glad. Yeah, right. So, hey, yeah. We'll, we'll double what we're paying this one. Yeah, yeah, and he'll double our pay, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Wednesday edition. I'm Jeff Smelser. It is the Wednesday edition. I'm Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania, and Chase Byers is with us from Fishers, Indiana. Hello, Chase. Hey, Jeff. Glad you're back with us this week. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be back. I understand that uh, you and Joe Works had a good webcast last week and talked a little bit about um, the, the what's called the Holy Land and whether or not that land belongs to Israel today. Yes, yeah, that's right. So last week we had a good episode and just a heads up for our listeners today that we're kind of going to do a continuation of that and we'll talk a little bit about a question that we got toward the end. But this is a this is something that's got a lot of interest right now, isn't it, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I mean, mentioned real quickly. Joe's not with us today. He's he's got a, a frog in his throat or something like that, so he's not with us today. So uh, we're 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 going to miss him. We'll we're we'll struggle along without him. So yeah. tell me a little bit more about what you did last week. Yeah. So obviously, people's minds are thinking about the Holy Lands probably more than they have been in recent years. And this kind of thing happens a lot. I mean, there's wars and have been wars going on over there uh, for for decades, for hundreds of years. But uh, last week, we approached the topic really carefully, Jeff. We actually we started off with a prayer, but we we wanted to show sympathy for what's going on over there while also acknowledging that the Bible has a good bit to say about whether that hand, that land mm -hmm. is still the Holy land or not. And I think something Joe did a really good job at emphasizing last week is that it was never the land, the physical land itself that was holy, but it was the people that lived in the land that were to be holy. And that was something consistently throughout the old Testament God wanted. And it all came to a, clash whenever Jesus was on the earth. And we spent some time in Mark 12 and in Mark 13, where Jesus will finally condemn the city of Jerusalem altogether and foretell its destruction to come, that not one stone will be left upon another. And that led up to AD 70, where Rome came in and leveled the temple and, and kicked all the Jews out and killed them. And um, that was something that the scripture spoke to. Jesus predicted that that would happen as a consequence for their killing the Christ. And of course, the podcast or the webcast last week, we ended with emphasizing that there's a, a, a much better land that is not on this earth that God has prepared for us. And we looked at John 14 uh, to emphasize that Jesus has gone ahead of us to that land. And if we will follow him, as Thomas was asking him, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If we'll follow Jesus, we'll get to that land he's prepared. And we talked about Hebrews 4, the idea of it being an eternal rest. And so we really tackled that idea of God's well, holy land, but that um, he has a, a land prepared for us. Okay, okay. So um, so let, it, let's just, I don't know what all you did in terms of setting the stage last week, but of course there's a, you have a conflict today uh, between Israel and the Palestinians, and Hamas is a, is a governing entity uh, among the Palestinians there. Um, 
in the early part of the 20th century or approaching the midpoint of the 20th century, um, the United Nations or the United Nations predecessor right now, I can't remember which it was, kind of designated this territory that had been occupied by uh, Arabic peoples, Palestinians, generally speaking, kind of um, Palestinians who were exiled or ostracized or in one way or another separated from their own countries and they were kind of populating this land. And so the powers, the various nations said, well, let's, after World War II, let's let the Jews who've been persecuted in Europe, let's let them have this this land and, and go to it and settle it. So the modern state of Israel was formed, which which resulted in in displacing some of the Palestinians who had been there. This is a modern conflict, but many Jewish people uh, and many conservative religious people who profess to be Christians also have argued that actually that land should belong to Jews because back in biblical times, God promised that land to the nation of Israel. So I'm assuming, Chase, what you and Joe did, <clears throat> and from what you said just a moment ago and what we've talked about and just what I know about what, what you two understand the Bible to teach, I'm assuming that what you did was kind of show that, look, in biblical times, prior to the New Testament, God did indeed promise that land to Abraham or to Abraham's descendants, that he actually gave it to them, but that this was not an end in and of itself. This was part of the process of bringing the Christ into the world and bringing salvation to all the world, uh, and that the Jews rejected God and rejected his Christ, and so they lost that land. And so whatever's going on today is really not a continuation of the biblical promise about the land belonging to Israel. It's really a modern conflict and not, yeah. not, not to try to express sympathy for what Hamas has done recently at all, but just to say it's, well, we really can't go to the Bible. Is that kind of what you? Yeah, yes. Thank you. That last part you said, we can't go to the Bible. So that, that part in particular, this is Bible quest. We want to go on a quest to see what the scriptures say. And that's the common thing that keeps getting cited. Well, the Bible says that this is their land. The Bible says that this is their land. Um, and so last week we wanted to explore that and say, well, we, we have to start from page one and follow it all the way to, to the end. The, the mm -hmm. end of the story ended with the destruction of that land and Jesus ushering in this new age. And so that's where we wanted to end last week to show that the Bible actually puts a period on this. Anything that we see after this is going to be, I like how you're wording that, is a modern conflict. We didn't use that phrasing. And that's what we missed from you last week, Jeff, was your your historical ability to... To kind of tell us what's so, going on. So I've, I've got questions. So I understand you had a, a, a viewer send in a question. And I don't want to ask about that in just a moment. But did you all talk about the fact that in Genesis chapter 17, for example, um, that the land was to be given as an everlasting possession in Genesis 17, 8? Um, this is when Abraham is 99 years old and God is repeating the promises to him and says, in verse 8, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. Because people will point to that passage and say, see, the Jews are supposed to have this forever. So that 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 continues today. Did you talk about that? 
Uh, I didn't. Joe went through some different passages in Genesis with Abraham's promise, but I think he was in chapter 15. I don't know if he was in chapter 17, but it'll at least be good for me for you to make this point, even if we did. Well, okay. There's several things to be said about that. Um, One, if we just continue in the chapter just a little bit, uh, he gives them, let's start in verse nine, if we could. I do want to get to the question that somebody sent in last week, but in Genesis 17, 9, it goes on, it says, God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations, and this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Well, the covenant seemed to be the land. And the circumcision is going to be the sign of the covenant. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants and so on. And verse 14, uh, verse 13, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall be surely circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh, flesh for an everlasting covenant. So the sign of the land covenant, the sign of the promise, the circumcision is also described as an everlasting covenant. And yet when we get to the New Testament, what do we find out about circumcision? Yeah. So it'll go to the wayside. I mean, the Gentiles don't need to be uh, yeah. circumcised in order to become Christians. Right, right, right. So the, there's two ways to think about that. One is, and it's often pointed out, the words translated, the word translated everlasting, olam in Hebrew, does not necessarily mean in to infinity without end. It does not necessarily mean eternal. It can just mean it's it's a perpetual covenant for a long time. But there's also this, that the Old Testament generally uh, fulfilled spiritually in the New Testament. And so there are all kinds of things in the New in the Old Testament that are established in a physical way, but are ultimately realized in a spiritual way in Christ. Circumcision certainly is one of those things. Paul in Romans 2 talks about the, the, the one who is really a Jew is the one who is circumcised inwardly. His heart is circumcised. It's not the outward circumcision. Um, and so the, the fleshly removal of some skin that would close the end, so to speak, uh, that being removed anticipates the removing of a covering over the heart, which keeps one from giving his heart to the Lord and his heart being affected by the Lord. And so uh, the ultimate circumcision, which is without end, is the spiritual one. So you can look at it one of two ways. You can say, well, forever doesn't have to mean forever without end. Or you can realize that, well, in its spiritual realization, it was forever. And, and, And if it's the sign of the land promise, well, the land promise is the same way. Um when we get over to Zechariah 13, it talks about the um, Zechariah 13, a fountain being open for sin and iniquity and cleansing the land. And there would be no longer a false prophet or unclean spirit or idol in the land. Obviously that's not talking about the physical land. Those things are still there in the physical land, but the land becomes the spiritual habitation of God's people. So David could say in, in uh, Psalm 37 verse 11 and verse 29 the meek shall inherit the land jesus could quote it in beatitudes in verse 29 uh 
they'll dwell the righteous will dwell in the land forever he's not saying righteous people are going to dwell in the land of canaan forever he's saying god's land the spiritual land so those are some thoughts about this this idea of it being forever but you all talked last week about the fact when you get to the new testament very clearly um very clearly jesus talks about uh, the jews having rejected god and his christ then Jerusalem is rejected. All right, we've got yeah. another comment this week. So I'm going to check that real quick, Drew, uh, Chase, and then I want to come back and find out about the question you had last week. Yeah, um, so I've got it pulled up here. It says, okay. so for those who do not accept Jesus as Christ, Jews or Ishmael's descendants, for instance, could they still rely on the land covenant still standing for that land today? Okay, so so for those who do not accept Jesus as Christ, okay, so I think he's asking if if you've got either he says Jews or Ishmael's descendants. So if you that's any that's Jews or Arabs basically. If you have uh, people who do not accept Jesus Christ, can they go back and say, well, I guess he says Jews or Ishmael's descendants. Those would both be descendants of of Abraham. So mm-hmm. I guess he's asking. Could they still go back and say, well, God promised it to Abraham uh, and therefore it's ours. Um, I, I don't think so. The, their, their staying in the land in the Old Testament was always contingent upon their obedience to God. And when they were disobedient to God, I mean, God said in, in the latter chapters of Deuteronomy and latter chapters of yeah. Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 26, 27. If, if you don't keep my commandments, if you don't obey what I've said, you're going to be carried away from well, this command. Well, of course. So, so yeah, so that kind of gets to what Joe was really emphasizing last week. Um, and I think it's in when God comes to him in Genesis 15. Yeah. And verse 16, in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Mm-hmm. Joe was kind of carrying that idea forward that the people that were in the land, when Israel comes in, they're being punished. Yep. But then when you read through after Israel takes the land and judges in first and second Samuel and first and second Kings and through the prophets, then Israel gets judged because there were there were blessings as well as curses that came with the land. So my comment at the beginning about it not being about the land itself that's holy as much as it is about the nation itself needing yeah. to be holy yeah. that gets okay. to stay in the land. Um, so that was something Joe emphasized last week. All right. So then you had somebody who sent in a question last week that I guess you yeah. didn't fully discuss or maybe left it. No, we did. We neglected it because we, we needed you on. Uh, we needed your your sage uh, research skills and your, your past studies. Um, so the question centered around Ishmael, and it really, it, it, this stays right here in this text that we're looking at. I mean, uh, you back up just a little bit. Um, I don't know how into the weeds we want to get with Ishmael, but just overview of Abraham's life. We're introduced to Abraham first by his wife, Sarah, being barren in chapter 11 and verse 30. Chapter 12 and verse 2, God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to make this great nation for you. Yep. Chapter 13, 15, and 16 God says it again, I'm going to give you offspring that's like the dust of the earth. And uh, and then, of course, in chapter 15 that we just referenced, God says it again. But the whole time we're wondering, well, how is God going to accomplish this with these these 90 year old, you know, old people? Right. Well, 
the question uh, the question occurs whenever we read about the technical firstborn son of Abraham named Ishmael. Um, Ishmael were introduced to him in chapter 16 when Abraham's wife Sarai had not borne any children to him and she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. Yeah. And Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. And so Abraham's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. And this happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. Um, and of course, she ends up bearing the son and his name ends up being Ishmael. So she, um, he's the son born to Sarah's handmaid, a slave woman. Right. Uh, who becomes a wife, a concubine, a wife to Abraham. And Ishmael is his first son. That's right. So the question that got that got asked last week is what about essentially Ishmael's descendants? Uh -huh. um, because God in chapter 21, whenever Ishmael is finally sent off for good, um, God does promise that he's going to make quite the nation out of Ishmael's descendants as well. He promises this to Hagar. Right. Uh, let me get my eyes on that. Um, let's see here. Chapter 21, uh, in verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not be distressed about the boy and about your slave, whatever says to you, whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And I will make also make a nation of the slave son because he is your offspring. And so the, the story goes on. He ends up sending them on their way. And in verse 21, he settles in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So the last time I think we see Ishmael show up is to bury Abraham, if I'm not mistaken. Unless well, you can think of anything. In, in chapter 25, uh, after it talks about Abraham's death, you do have a description of Ishmael's descendants starting in verse 12. Is that where you're going? Uh, that should be where I was going. I forgot about that little excerpt, though. So, yeah, verse 12. These are the family records of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Hagar, Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's slave, bore to Abraham. And it goes on to, to name all those. Uh, verse 17. Uh, these. This is the length of Ishmael's life, 137 years. He took his last breath and died and was gathered to his people. And they settled, settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, as you go to Ashur. And he stayed near all his relatives. So I'd imagine, Jeff, the reason the question came up last week, what about them? That, and that was really the gist of the question, was we're, we're tackling Israel's land. But what about Ishmael's lands? What about Ishmael's descendants? Mm -hmm. Are they also expected to bow down to Jesus the Christ? I think that was kind of the gist of the question. Are Ishmael's, are Ishmael's descendants expected to recognize the Christ as the son of God, is that the idea? Yeah, that, I think that's the idea, as well as their land in particular, and who who exactly are their descendants. So, I, I've heard Jeff that the descendants of Ishmael are the Muslim people um, and the Arab people. So, you kind of take me from there and let let me know. All right. Um, so I don't I don't know much don't. more about this. I don't know much more about this than you do. I think it's probably not accurate to say Muslims generally are descendants of Ishmael. I think it's probably accurate to say some of the Arabic peoples would be descendants of of, uh, 
uh, Ishmael. I noticed one thing here, and this I'm going to throw this out here without knowing what I'm talking about. So take this with a grain of salt. But in Genesis 25, 15, when it mentions the descendants of Ishmael, it mentions a Tema in verse 15. Um, and I need to think where the reference is. Um, to a Temanite? Well, there's a Temanite mentioned in Job. But what I'm thinking of is the fact that when the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar, was reigning kind of a co-reigning with his father, uh, Nabonidus, if I remember was his name. Nabonidus was hanging out at a city south-southwest of Babylon, way way down south-southwest, toward the, um, down in the Arabian, toward the Arabian Peninsula, and that it was kind of a resort place. And I am thinking that the name of that city was either Tima or Timon, and it, it may not be related at all, but I, that just caught my eye as I went through this. But what we can say is this. The Ishmaelites, um, you know, what, what did God say back in Genesis chapter 16? Uh, he will be a wild donkey of a man in verse 12. That doesn't sound like we're talking about somebody who builds an established city and a, a settled population. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He'll live to the east of all his brothers. And it seems historically that the descendants of Ishmael are understood to have been nomads. And I'll read you uh, just a little blurb here. And I don't ag necessarily agree with everything that's said, but this is from the, the um, New International Bible, not the New International, the um, ISB, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. <clears throat> and what it says is um, that um, from Genesis 16, 12, which you read a moment ago, it may be inferred that the term Ishmaelite was applied to the Bedouin of the desert region east of the Jordan generally for the character there assigned to Ishmael, his hand against every man and every man's hand against him, fits the habits of Bedouin in all ages. Now, this writer goes ahead to say that the term Ishmaelite ends up being used not just for the descendants of Ishmael, but just generally speaking for the Bedouin peoples of, the, of that region. I'm not sure that that's true in the Bible. He cites Genesis chapter 37, where Joseph is sold by his brothers. And in the narrative there, it goes back and forth between Midianites and Ishmaelites as to who exactly buys Joseph and takes him. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I actually think that the text is not confusing the two, that there seems to be a relationship between the two, but that, that the, the involvement of Midianites and Ishmaelites, Ishmaelites both in this is actually part of the foreshadowing of some things that happen when Jesus is arrested. Um, that's kind of an involved discussion. So I'm well, not sure that we have biblical evidence of the term Ishmaelite being used for people who are not descendants of Ishmael. But bottom line, it does appear that some of the some of the peoples, the Bedouins of the Middle East, who would end up being classified as Arabic peoples, uh, were descendants of Ishmael. I would not say that we can know that they were generally. So that that's about as much as I understand about that. Yeah. So the best way I know to really answer the question just about Ishmael, his descendants, 
Well, what is the story of Ishmael even there for? Like, why, why, why record this kind of awkward um, story, really awkward encounter with Hagar? And why not just leave that out of the narrative? The blessing came through Isaac anyways. Why is all this recorded for us? That's such a great question. That's such a great question because we get to the New Testament, of course, we find this great significance in understanding these two sons, isn't there? There is. And even in the narrative of Genesis, if I can point one thing out before we go to Galatians 4. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's this recurring theme in Genesis, especially mm-hmm. in the Abraham story, of putting trust in Egypt, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, so in chapter 12, you see it uh, no sooner than he's called out of his homeland. There's a famine in the land and he goes down to Egypt to stay there for a while because of the famine. And he ends up lying and saying that Sarah is his sister and not his wife. And uh, it's a lapse in his faith. Um, He ends up telling that same exact lie again a little bit later. And which chapter is that? Um, In 20, uh, 20, um, 20. Chapter 20 in, cha- in chapter 20, but sandwiched in the middle of that, of course, is all of all of the times God is promising him the son through Sarah, promising him the son through Sarah. Yeah. And they take matters into their own hands and he gets an Egyptian slave woman right. pregnant. Right. And she ends up having the son. And then that all culminates at the end of the book of Genesis, where the 11 other sons of Israel and Israel himself will travel to Egypt to find refuge where Joseph is, and then they end up becoming enslaved for 400 years. So there's, I think Ishmael, just even in the book of Genesis, I think represents this greater lesson of putting our trust in ourselves, taking matters into our own hands and going to things that really can't save. Does yeah, that make sense? And if I could just throw out a little tangent here, it so happens this coming Sunday, I'm going to be presenting a lesson about our purpose in life. And, um, what I'm going to do is we're going to we're going to talk about um, Genesis and the fact that it's written by Moses apparently during the years that Israel was in the wilderness, and so you think about here you've got this nation of Israelites who had been slaves in Egypt and they've come out of Egypt and here they are in the wilderness on the way to this promised land, and and suddenly you know they've got this book of Genesis that tells about their origin, and looking at it through the eyes of the Israelites in the wilderness and reading these stories not only do you have the continual repetition of this land that God is giving them, which is where they're going, but you've also got what you were talking about, this story of these two sons, their descendants of Isaac, not of Ishmael. Ishmael was the one born of an Egyptian slave woman. And maybe there's a point to be made here. You people are not children of the Egyptians. Uh, You're children from another woman, from Sarai, not from Hagar, who was the Egyptian woman who wanted to go back to Egypt. Um, and so that kind of ties in. One other thing let's let's do before we go over to Galatians, because this will this is in the background of Galatians four. Sure. After Isaac is born, so Ishmael was born when Abraham was 86 years old. That's what it says in Genesis 16, 16. And mm-hmm. then Isaac is born when Abraham is is a hundred years old. And so there's there's 14 years age difference. Um between these sons and uh it talks about isaac being weaned in genesis 21 8 so is he a toddler you know we don't know how long she nursed him but let's assume a toddler of some age and at this point in verse 9 of genesis 21 sarah saw the son of hagar the egyptian whom she had born to abraham mocking 
Now, this word translated mocking is a, a word that's used in various contexts, but, but one context is when Potiphar's wife complains that this Hebrew, meaning Joseph, had been brought in to make sport of her or humiliate her. Um, and so it has a very negative connotation. I'm not trying to suggest there's a sexual connotation, although it's used in some contexts like that. Yeah, and some commentators do suggest that, but I don't think that's yeah. That's, but uh, it, yeah. it is a it is a word that can be used in a context where it's not just a playful mocking; it is a debasing, it is a humiliating kind of thing. Right. And and Sarah takes offense, and she says, "All right, done with it." The, the this and what she says is, um, verse ten: "Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son." Isaac. And so now that's part of the background too, that that's going to help us understand where you're going to take us over in Galatians chapter four. Yeah. So by the time we get over to Galatians chapter four, there's a, this ties really directly to something Jeff was talking about at the beginning of the episode about circumcision, right, Jeff? Yeah. Because you've got and these, these Gentile Christians probably the Christians in the churches of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, who have bought into the idea that really God's people are the Jews, and that if the Gentiles want to be a part of it, they have to keep the law of Moses, and especially they have to be circumcised. In essence, God makes a distinction between Jews and Gentiles, only accepting Jews. And so if a Gentile wants these blessings, he's got to convert to Judaism and in essence, become a Jew. He's got to be circumcised, keep the law of Moses. Gentile Christians were buying into that. And Paul writes Galatians to say, that's not right. That justification is not through the law and it's not through circumcision. It is through faith in Christ. And that's true whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. And so he says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 25 is where I'm going to start. If uh, No, 26, for you're all sons of faith. And I'm quoting it, so I may get wrong here while I turn to it. You're all sons of faith. For it is, uh, yeah, let me just get there and read it. Verse 26, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ, there can be neither Jew nor Greek. There's no distinction here. There can be neither bond nor free. There can be neither male nor female. You're all one man in Christ. If you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. So the true heirs of the promise to Abraham are those who are in Christ? Is what Paul says, and he's got he's got some more to say about that, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. And so th there's a lot of kind of I think excursuses he takes through there, but it's in chapter four, twenty one through thirty one. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Jeff. There's still some sections of this argument that Paul is making that I don't think I fully understand, but it is one of the more I think profound points he makes in the whole letter uh, is appealing to this very story we're talking about. Mm -hmm. In, in Genesis chapter 16, 21, or whatever, with Ishmael mm -hmm. and Isaac. Mm -hmm. And so look, just let's just read the language of it, and then we can kind of point out the things we want to about okay. it. Okay. So this is uh, Genesis, or sorry, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. So I'm tracking with that. You tracking with that, Jeff? Yeah. So that's one by Hagar and one by Sarah, the free woman. Yeah, exactly. So in verse 23, but the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh. 
All right. So I understand that we're yep. talking about Ishmael there, right? Yeah, he was Ishmael, Abraham went in and slept with Hagar, just purely human in the course of human experience. Man sleeps with a woman, she gets pregnant. Nothing supernatural about that. And uh, a boy is born, a child is born, and that's Ishmael. That's, that's right. Right, exactly. And then after that, it says, while the one by the free woman, that's Sarah, was born through promise. Had to okay. be through promise. No way 90-year-old woman's going to have a baby by a 100-year-old man who is as good as dead, is what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. No way that's going to happen except God made it happen. God promised she'd have a son. Abraham would have a son by her. And so it happened. So that's not by the flesh. That's through promise. God said it would happen and it did. Yeah, well put. So we, we're, we're 21 through 23. We're on board. Verse 24. These things are being taken figuratively for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Yeah. All right. So he's saying we're using this as a metaphor. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but is that the idea of what he's saying? We're going to what we just talked about. We're going to apply figuratively to the thing I've already talked about in chapters one up to here. Is that yeah, fair? And it's kind of ironic because he mentions Sinai and of course the Jews would have associated themselves with Sinai, but he identifies Hagar and her son with Sinai from whom the Jews did not descend. And uh, he says, Hagar is like Sinai in that the law leaves you in bondage to sin, just like Hagar, uh, her son is going to be in bondage because he's born to a slave woman. Right, exactly. So then Hagar in verse 25, now Hagar represents Mount Sinai and Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Wow, that's irony. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> to take the slave woman and her son and say, that's who you Jews who are trusting in physical Israel are, are after. You're identifying yourself with physical Israel. That's that's going to get you no place. That's, that's where Ishmael was, who was only a, child of abraham by flesh not by god's promise right and so he says she is in slavery with her children mm -hmm. all right so you can almost stop there and see the points that paul is going to make from this yeah if you're in christ you can't be a slave you're you're of the free person but when you make yourself saved by what you've done according to the flesh then you're making yourself out to be a child of hagar right so let's hear let's hear Paul kind of make that point in verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate women will be many more numerous than those of the woman who has who has a husband. Now, it's been a while since I've said that. That's Isaiah, right? Yes, Isaiah 54, 1. Okay. Is there any comment you want to make on that other than it, it's making his point? Nope. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so in verse 28, here's Paul's application. Now you two, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Uh -huh. And he made that point earlier, didn't he? Back at the end of chapter three, Jeff Jeff read that for us. Yeah, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. And I always think back to John's statement. Don't say that, you, I think it's in Luke three. Don't say that you're children of Abraham. God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. 
And it's interesting that he says that because what God ends up doing is making children of Abraham out of Gentiles who are not right. in a fleshly sense, the sins of Abraham. But what Paul says here is, look, if you're Christ, then you are sons of Abraham. God says so. In other words, we get to be sons of Abraham and heirs of the promise by promise, by God say so, which makes us like Isaac. Because that's the only way Isaac was a child of Abraham, because it would not have happened by the flesh. Yes, exactly. So in verse 29, he says, But just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, well, so also now. So that would be a well, reference talking to about? what we read in Genesis 21 about Ishmael mocking his younger brother. And what's happening here in the churches in Galatia? Well, they're being persecuted. The spiritual sons, those who are Christians, uh, including Jews who have become Christians, are being persecuted by the unbelieving Jews who are simply children of the flesh. They are only descendants right. of Abraham in a fleshly way. Yes. And so it, I like how you said there's an irony here in the way he's flipping this on its head. Yeah. And he's saying, yeah. so you are actually relating to Isaac in right. this. Uh, even though you're not like a descendant of a Jew, uh, it's it's really fascinating. All right, so then in verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. What does Paul tell them to do in verse 30? He says, <laughs> drive out the handmaid and her son. What the, the point here that I think is really important is what Paul says is very plainly, the fleshly sons are not going to be heirs with the spiritual sons. So if I'm a spiritual son of Abraham, who's a spiritual son? Those who are in Christ. Those are the sons of Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile. That's the one who are the heirs. And the fleshly sons who correspond to Ishmael, they are not going to be heirs. There is this whole doctrine today that a lot of evangelicals hold that the Jews are automatically going to be saved. And what Paul is saying, no, if your connection to Abraham is only fleshly, like Ishmael's was, you're not going to be an heir. That son was driven out. Sarah said, the, the son of the handmaid shall not be heir with my son. And so yeah. if you want to be an heir, you've got to be in Christ. Well, and you know how I would read verse 30 if I was a, there in the churches in Galatia? Drive out the false teachers. The ones that are born according to the flesh, drive them out, yeah. cast them out. Yeah. That's that's how I would read that. That would be the application, at least for me, is stop tolerating this. Yeah. And it's it's a similar point, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, people love quoting that verse, bad company corrupts good morals. Yeah. That, that whole verse is in the context of the false teaching surrounding the resurrection. Yeah, true. And I think the, the strict application of that in chapter 15 would be, Stop associating with these false teachers. And I think that's kind of what Paul is saying to them. If they're wrong on this, you need to cast them out. And then finally, in verse 31, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Stop giving yourselves to this yoke of, of slavery whenever you have been set free. And so two questions for you. Yeah. So you talked about Paul going back to the story and saying, you know, I'm going to use this for a metaphor. But I think earlier on, you suggested that when those events happened and when they were first recorded in the book of Genesis, there was a purpose in recording the story about Ishmael and giving us those details because you could have told the story of Israel without referring to the birth of Ishmael. 
So yeah, what absolutely. my question is this, is this just a case of Paul dragging up a story from the Old Testament and making hay? Uh, in other words, is it just a case of Paul saying, hey, I think I can create a parallel here? Or is this a case of God uh, being behind the events that took place back there in Genesis and more especially behind the recording of those events so that there would be this parallel? Yes, I agree with that last thing you just said. I, th I thought you did. I thought that's what you were indicating <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, it, this is one of those moments. I mean, you have moments like that in First and Second Peter, moments like that certainly in the book of Hebrews, where you recognize that a lot of the events that happened in the Old Testament happened as a foreshadow, uh, something that only God-inspired apostles would be able to connect. I, I don't think I would have ever put this together if Paul hadn't have put it together for me. I, I, I'm fully convinced that these stories in the book of Genesis are not just a random telling of whatever happened, that the, that the story is laid out with a purpose, knowing where it's going in Christ. So, okay, one other question for you then. So today, uh, when people see what's going on in the Middle East, and, and obviously not to try to justify what Hamas is doing or anything like that. Uh, but when people look at it and, and say, well, Israel's in the right because it's in their land, because it's their land, because God promised it to them. Those same people also believe because God is automatically going to save Israel. Because if you are a, a Jew, if you're a descendant biologically, a fleshly descendant of Abraham, then you're God's people. I would argue Galatians 4 says that's not true. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, you're nodding your head, but I want to hear the vocal affirmation. I don't want to be out here all by myself. Sorry, somebody, yeah. yeah, that's true. Be listening and to people, this, the people podcast. can't see I'm me either. Yeah. And they go, well, Chase, Chase, Chase didn't even agree. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, yes. No, no, I think that's exactly right. And, and we made that point over and over again as we were going through the text. Yeah. He's talking about that the Christians are are of the free woman we're of sarah's descendants in christ and in chapter 5 verse 1 he makes the point it's really an unfortunate chapter break for freedom christ set us free stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery when we put our trust in that kind of i'm a descendant of abraham just right. like jesus had to deal with with the pharisees we, we have that's a yoke of slavery yeah, and there's put, no confidence in that you're putting your trust in the flesh just like if you put your trust in circumcision, you're putting your trust in the flesh. So apparently the, the, the viewer or the listener last week who sent in the question must have been Randy because he just uh, sends us comments. He says, I appreciate you brothers answering my question. So glad we could, uh, glad we could uh, help you out there, Randy. Thanks for sending the question. All right, Chase, anything that we need to do as we wrap this discussion up today? Uh, anything we need to go back to, touch on any little piece you wanted to to get in that we didn't get in earlier you, no it just I, go back to your comments from earlier about the book of genesis and maybe encourage everyone who listens now uh if if some of this has maybe sparked in you an interest in going back and wanting to read the old testament to see the spiritual applications are, that are there you should do that um the, the bible isn't something to be studied as some kind of treasure map to find out something that everyone else doesn't know 
but it, it works together as a complete harmony, telling a complete story that has complete relevance to our lives. And so, I don't know, maybe some listen to this week's episode and last week's episode because they like hearing, you know, oh, are these guys going to tell us something in the Bible that others haven't noted yet about all this, that have some kind of secret? Um, <laughs> no, we're, we're not doing that. We're just going back and seeing the spiritual applications that have been there the whole time. And so if that sparks interest in you, then definitely go back and read some of these stories with that kind of lens. Yeah, sure. That's that's great. Uh, thank you, Chase. And um, we missed Joe today. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have Joe back with us next week. And uh, for the rest of you who are listening today, we thank you for being with us on Bible Quest. Uh, you can tune in on Tuesdays for Bible Quest Tuesday edition. Uh, but we hope to see you again next week for the Wednesday edition. I'm Jeff Smelser. This is Chase Byers. And with that, may God bless you all. We hope you enjoyed today's Bible Quest. If you have any questions or comments, please go to BibleQuest.org and click on the Submit Questions tab near the top right. If you'd like to learn more about God's Word, we also offer a number of resources, including online Bible courses. You can click on the links at the end of this video or visit our other website, Bible-Moments.com. There you can find videos on different topics, as well as choose from a variety of Bible courses that are available on demand at no cost. Thank you.